Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Sarah? I am sweaty. Why? I've been cleaning the house. Oh, okay. It's just like it's, you know, not like a very hot day. Like it's a reasonable fall day beautiful yeah, fall beautiful day outside but uh i spring cleaning is like a common thing right um but i also do fall cleaning mm-hmm. um just whenever the seasons are changing it's like cool it's time to sweep out everything that's in the house so right. uh that's what i have been doing it is also serving to distract me from the state of the world because uh, <laughs> if i don't if i think about it too hard and too much it gets very depressing here in Alberta. So cleaning. Yes, that's fair. Absolutely. I prep D&D games. Um, so <laughs> this week we are watching El Vampiro. Well, hold on. Hold on. What? We, we have to celebrate a new patron, Ben. Oh, I'm sorry. I was getting ahead of myself. Yes, you were. We'd like to give a big thank you to our newest patron of the night, Travis Stone. Thank you, Travis. Uh, what a badass name. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The name's Uh, Stone. Travis Stone. Definitely feels like he should be the star of a newspaper comic strip of some kind. (laughs) Goes on adventures, punches bears, that sort of thing. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. If you would like to be like Travis and get access to Patreon-exclusive content like bonus audio horror-related writing, and lots of goodies like that, you can head over to patreon.com slash Podcast. We're heading into October when we always do something a little extra, a little special. Do you want to tease what we're doing this year, Sarah? For weekly bonus audio, instead of the standard bonus audio, we are going to have bonus audio from our horror-adjacent episodes. We have just enough horror adjacent episodes to make that viable yeah i saw that and i was like cool let's do this i am also doing another audiobook adaptation this time of uh a short story from the 1950s uh and i'll give a bit more details about that once we actually hit october uh when this episode comes out we're like a few days shy Mm. so i don't want to give too much away okay we also usually do a uh a special episode um, a very special episode of Scream Scene. Um, in past years, we've done uh, The Mysterious Life and Mysterious Death of Vera West, uh, an episode on HEWAC. So stay tuned for all of those Halloween treats. And thanks again, Travis. Thanks, Travis. Okay, now back to El Vampiro. What, what is going on? What, R- what's this? Right. So this is Fernando Mendez's follow-up to Ledron de Cadaveres, uh, The Corpse Thief, which we watched last week mm-hmm. uh, so it was pretty fun yeah we had a good time this follow-up film is widely considered one of the best mexican horror films ever made whoa that's like over and over again what i saw said about it even though most reviews also acknowledge that the movie isn't very innovative okay. um it draws mostly from the style and imagery of the classic universal pictures and while the vampire featured in it isn't dracula He's also Dracula adjacent. 
he's basically Dracula. Like he isn't <laughs> not Dracula, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Alucard. Yeah. But the movie's direction and cinematography are regularly praised, as is its control of atmosphere and mood. So basically the comments I saw over and over again were like, it's not doing anything new or different, but what it is doing, it's doing very well. Cool. I mean, that's great. Love it. The film is produced by actor Abel Salazar, uh, who also stars, although not as the vampire. Uh, He plays the role of Dr. Enrique. Salazar was born in 1917 in Mexico City and had been acting since the early 1940s. He actually produced um, El Monstro Resuscitado in 1953, uh, but he didn't appear in that film. Mm -hmm. So he's been producing films as well for a long time. Uh, El Vampiro would begin a string of Salazar-produced horror films that he would also act in. Playing the vampire is Herman Robles, a Spanish actor born in 1929 who came to Mexico when he was 17. He's best known for his vampire roles, as well as a long career as a dub actor for American films. Uh, So, like, he was the voice of General Grievous, and uh, he was Bill Nye's voice in the, like, Pirates of the Caribbean movies and things like that. (laughs) Uh, He passed away in 2015. Okay. The female protagonist is played by Ariadne Welter, who was a Mexican actress born in 1930 in Mexico City. She was the daughter of a Dutch oil executive, and she was one of four siblings, including her older sister, Blanca Rosa Welter, who is better known as Hollywood actress Linda Christian, the lover of Errol Flynn and the wife of Tyrone Power, and also the first Bond girl. Uh, She played Valerie Mathis in the 1956 TV version of Casino Royale. Mm Mm-hmm. El Vampiro is one of Ariadne's better-known roles, but she has a long career. Okay. Our female villain is played by Carmen Montejo, who was born Maria Teresa Sanchez Gonzalez in Cuba in 1925. She'd been a child star in Cuba, but went to Mexico after college, where she was given her stage name by director Chano Ureta. Oh, so she'll probably be appearing in his future horror films? Yeah, we'll see. El Vampiro was released in Mexico on October 4th, 1957. It was a huge hit, and a sequel, El Autod del Vampiro, or The Vampire's Coffin, was released the following year. It is often called the movie that set off the horror boom in Mexico, but... We've been seeing, you know, the trickle start. Yeah, we've been seeing that that's been coming for a while, and we've, like, already passed a few different movies that have been given the title, the movie that kicked off the horror boom in Mexico, so... Yeah. It's also often credited as the first on-screen vampire with fangs, but of course we know that that title actually goes to 1953's Dracula in Istanbul. That is correct. Correct the Wikipedia page. (laughs) Yes. El Vampiro was released on DVD in 2009 by Casa Negra, which was a DVD imprint that specialized in releasing old Mexican horror films on DVD. Um, It was released on a set called The Vampire Collection with its sequel. Um, But unfortunately, Casa Negra is now um, like defunct and the DVDs are all out of print. Okay. Well, folks, hopefully you can find a copy to watch along. Um, Ben, I do have to ask, given Mendez's previous film... Are any of these actors wrestlers? No, I'm sorry. Okay, no worries. Um, and how soon after Lajon de Cadaveras 
is El Vampiro. Ladron de Cadaveras came out on September 26th. This came out on October 4th. So like eight days. Okay, so he must have just like as soon as Cadaveras went into post-production, he started working on El Vampiro. Yeah. If not concurrently. Yeah. Wow, busy guy. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't burn yourself out like that, my guy. <laughs> it's fine. He's fine. <laughs> I mean, he's He's long dead. dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, you're going to hear a brief musical interlude. And when we come back, we will discuss El Vampiro from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene, everybody. We just finished watching El Vampiro from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. Ben, what did you think? This was extremely good. Yeah, this was so fun. Yeah, this is a very good movie. You should do what you can to track this down. I know it's not easy, and especially like finding it with English subtitles and all of that. Um, But if you can track down a copy, do so. Yeah, I would say that it's worth it. Um, well, I'm kind of itching to, you know, get to the discussion. So let me jump into the synopsis. Absolutely. Marta is returning to her childhood home at uh, Black Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she grew up in a hacienda uh, called Sycamoros. And it's kind of like a fort. You can kind of just picture it kind of like that. Um, now, she's returning home because the aunt who raised her is ill now, no one is at the station to pick her up, and she happens to meet a fellow traveler named Enrique. Uh, he is also stuck here. No one's coming to pick him up, and no one likes to be out after sunset, so they're kind of just stuck there. Um, there is someone who comes to pick up some boxes that are noted to go to a Count Duval. He has ordered some Hungarian soil. Mm-hmm. Marta and Enrique manage to hitch a ride with this guy who's picking up the soil, um, and they make their way to Sycamoros. Unfortunately, uh, Marta is too late. Uh, We see through intercutting that her aunt has died and has been interred into the crypt at the Hacienda and, like, completely, like, sealed with cement. Hmm. Um, We also see that before she gets sealed away and interred, Um, There's a pouch on a necklace and the servants grab it. They read a note inside and they look very like concerned and confused. Huh. Huh. Um, Now, as uh, the funeral procession leaves and comes back to the hacienda and also while Marta and Enrique are making their way to the hacienda, uh, we see that there is a woman in black stalking through the night kind of popping in and out mysteriously and supernaturally. This woman turns out to be her other aunt, Eloisa. And, you know, Marta kind of explains, like, yeah, like, my family lives and owns this hacienda. Um, My two aunts, Maria Teresa, who is the one who has passed, um, and Eloisa and their brother Emil um, have all lived here, and they just 
happen to never get married. Mm-hmm. Now, when she sees Eloisa, she's like, oh, wow, like, you're looking really good. You look exactly the way you looked when I left 10 years ago. Not mysterious at all. Mm. So Marta learns that Aunt Maria uh, was going insane had this kind of persecution complex, was hallucinating that vampires were after her before her death. She also left the share of the estate of the hacienda to Marta. And Eloisa explains like, well, we have this offer to purchase the hacienda, which I really want to take because no one's here. They've all left because they're concerned about these superstitions. Um, It's a ghost town here. So I want to sell, but Emil doesn't. So Marta, you have to be the deciding vote. Meanwhile, Count Duval, who turns out to be like a neighbor to this hacienda, receives this soil from Hungary, opens it up. Turns out it's like a full coffin with this soil. And he explains that um, his brother died in Mexico a hundred years ago. And through the power of the moon and this Hungarian soil, he's going to bring his brother back and he just needs access to the actual body that's buried in, interred in the crypt in the hacienda. Also turns out Count Duval is the person who is trying to buy the hacienda and Eloisa is under his influence because she's been turned into a vampire just like him. Yeah. Did we mention that he's a vampire? Yeah, it's very obvious he's a vampire. The movie doesn't try to hide it. No. Like, the opening scene that I skipped is him attacking Maria Teresa yeah. and causing her to die. Like, yeah. yeah. Also, he looks exactly like Count Dracula. Yes, so. he just straight <laughs> up looks that. like, yeah, he just straight up looks exactly <laughs> like Count Dracula. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, he's really weird. He only comes out at night and he wears a black cape. <laughs> it's like, he could just be a goth, guys. But he also has, like, the evening wear, like the tuxedo, the metal... Like, he looks exactly like Count Dracula. He's wearing a Count Dracula Halloween costume. (laughs) Well, looks better than a Halloween costume. Cosplay, then. Yeah, we'll go with that. No spirit Halloween costumes up in here. Right. Now we get some spooks and scares along the way, including a possible haunting from Aunt Maria. Marta begins to suspect that Eloise is a vampire because she doesn't have a reflection in a mirror Mm -hmm. and it's a very fun moment when marta is like what the fuck and then eloisa notices and is like fuck she knows and then marta's like fuck she knows i know (laughs) (laughs) now when marta makes this discovery uh she's going to go tell enrique who is staying at the house um and her uncle And as she heads downstairs, she happens to meet Count Duval at that time and goes, oh, shit, that's the guy who I've been having nightmares about. And so she's like, oh, shit, my aunt's a vampire. He's a vampire. What am I going to do? She can't do anything, unfortunately, because she gets poisoned uh, to kind of keep her quiet. Now, the reason why Enrique is still here. (laughs) So he escorts Marta up to the hacienda um, because he's a gentleman. But also, um, turns out he is a doctor and he has come here at the request of Emil to try to determine whether Maria was insane or not. Now, the instructions that Emil gave was to not let anyone know that you're a doctor, not let anyone know why you're here. Um, and so he follows those instructions. 
Uh, but he's like, okay, well, your sister's dead. What am I supposed to do here? I'm going to leave. And he keeps getting stalled from leaving. Now, when Marta gets poisoned, Enrique is like, well, she's dead. She, she's entered uh, this comatose state and she, she's dead. She has no pulse. Um, it's a bit of a, a shock. Um, definitely not something I was expecting as an audience member. And as these servants are praying around her body, they realize, no, she's slightly breathing. She's slightly moving. She moves her pinky finger. Um, and they realize, okay, she's in a comatose state. They give her basically adrenaline so she will wake up. And then Emil goes, oh, fuck. This is exactly how Maria acted when we thought she died. What if she's still alive and she's suffocating in her coffin? So they rush down to the crypt. They open up the coffin and it's empty. And the servants say, oh, well, we were told to keep this a secret, but we found this note from Maria saying that she wasn't dead and to take her body into this hidden passageway. They show Emil and Enrique where that is and yeah Maria's alive although she, not not doing well uh she looks like the ghostly figure we have been seeing here and there um very like pale face hollowed cheeks and she's carrying around this giant crucifix to protect her because she is like these vampires are after me um this was the only way that I could make sure to protect myself I, I knew what they were going to do with poisoning me because I could hear them scheming and Emil shares to Enrique like I don't know if you can tell whether she's crazy just by like this one interaction but now you understand why I had you come here secretly because if she's right and not crazy then that means that my other sister is a vampire and who knows who the other vampire is like it means we're fucked <laughs> <laughs> if she's not crazy and Enrique is like, okay, well, she's clearly more comfortable here. So I think she's a little bit crazy, but, you know, let's just leave her here for now. And we'll deal with this in the morning. They head back to the house. While they were off doing all of that, Duval has made his move. He believes that Marta is going to be in this comatose state when he arrives and he can bite her, turn her into a vampire and whisk her off back to his castle. Uh, she wakes up because she was given that adrenaline. And so they have a bit of a struggle. Her screaming draws Enrique and Emile back up to the house. Marta gets kidnapped through the tunnels in the house. Now, Enrique follows as he is following through these winding tunnels, we see that Eloise attacks and kills her brother and then enters the tunnels to follow Enrique. And then we see Maria following like Gollum and she attacks Eloise, chokes her out and kills her, uh, which I didn't know you could kill a vampire that way. But you No. Know hey, had anyone ever tried? <laughs> That's fair. Now, Enrique uh, has managed to stop Duval from biting Marta. Uh, and now they are in a bit of a sword fight where Duval has a decorative sword in his <laughs> hand. And Enrique has the lit torch. Um, but it stalls Duval enough that, oh no, the sun is rising and he has to get to his coffin. So he runs off. Enrique can't follow because... Duval's two goo minions come out and stop him. 
But Maria heads on past, gets a steak from like an old chair, breaks off the leg, whatever, opens up the coffin and stakes Duval. At that moment, Marta wakes up. They manage to get out. Uh, in all of the fighting, the place got lit on fire and they make their way out. And the nightmare appears to be over because the vampires are dead. Yeah, we see we see Eloisa like uh, crumble into a skeleton, and then into dust. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we see Duval's coffin on fire. Then we get our ending scene of Marta seeing Enrique off at the train, um, and it has this very funny moment of like the train is like choo choo uh, for a very long time, like a very long honk, for lack of a better word, sure. horn. Yeah, um, while Enrique is clearly like, he starts saying like, you know, Marta, I've really grown really close with you. And then honk. And we see him talking and spilling his heart out. And then the honk ends and he's like, and so I'll always remember this time with you. Right, sure. Yeah. (laughs) And then he goes to leave and then they embrace and he misses his train and happy ever after. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The end. So yeah, this was extremely good. Um, I think it's undoubtedly the best Mexican horror movie we've seen so far. Definitely. Um, it's not innovative in no. the sense of like pushing <laughs> boundaries in, in the way that innovative is defined. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what they have here is dope as hell. Um, the atmosphere, the mise-en-scene, the amount of like smoke and fog that is going on here. Yeah. Like, they must have rented like at least five fog <laughs> machines in order to have the depth that is going on here. The movie has a real confidence to it, like yes. a surety. Like they, it feels like they know what they're doing. It feels like this movie has been made with like a strong level of like care and professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't feel like it was dashed off in a weekend, like a Roger Corman B picture. It feels like they really wanted to do this right, you know? And and there's a lot of, like, things they didn't have to do. Absolutely. The amount of cobwebs they didn't have to do. Right. Or, like, there's a lot of scenes that have stuff happening in the background. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, a shot where you've got the foot of the bed and then you've got the count and he's standing over the bed. And then the count's lit so he has those Bella Lugosi eyes and then behind the count you see the open window and it's like nighttime out the window and there's fog everywhere but the fog is flowing in such a way that you know that they also have like a wind machine going like there's just a lot that they're doing Mm -hmm. um and they're also willing to really go for it on the visuals and the effects like spooky shadowy cinematography yeah but also like people turning into bats and back into people people phasing through doors and appearing and um we got some telepathy stuff going on like they just go for it throughout Mm -hmm. this movie which is really great and the scares like there's a couple of what i would call jump scares Mm -hmm. um and they got me marta is she's had these nightmares she's already been bitten once by duval now to be fair he is doing an a la carte thing yes because um the backstory of this movie is that like there was a Count Lavud who like came from Hungary and like set up the mine. Sikoros, yeah, and the mine and, and all of this and like built the hacienda. And then like the miners figured out he was a vampire, staked him, buried him in the crypt. 
And then like, at least from what I was understanding, like Marta's family is descended from that guy and like have maintained control of the Hacienda. And now Duval is actually that guy's brother come from Hungary to like restore him to vampiric life by getting some Hungarian soil in him, right? Yeah, no, that's totally it. Yeah, and then he's turned Eloise into a vampire, uh, driven Maria mad and killed her, he thinks. But yeah, there's like some weird new additions to vampire lore here about like how you can, yeah, bring a vampire back to life if you put them back in their like soil and have the moon and blah, blah, blah. Um, But also... In this movie, you get turned into a vampire if a vampire bites you twice. Yes. uh, Rather than they have to bite you and then you have to bite them um, and drink their blood. Here, it's described as like the vampire drains you of your blood and then now you need your blood back, but you can never have it. So you feast on the blood of others is how it's sort of like described here. And we do see a few vampire attacks. Yeah, just on like some randos. Yeah, Yeah, and it's done really well. Now, the fake bats that they use uh, to show, you know, bat traveling, it's not the best, but it's definitely not the worst we've seen. No. Um, The only thing with it is that the sound effect that they use sounds more like seagulls. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's still, I think, better than the sounds in the, like, first Universal Dracula movie for bats. Absolutely. Like, I I don't know what Mexican bats sound like. Sure. Maybe they sound more like seagulls. Uh, to be fair, I've only ever seen bats at the zoo. Right. But yeah, this is definitely back to the, like, rubber bat on a fishing line style. Yeah. But... What I think this movie has going for it is it's so confident in what it's doing Mm -hmm. that like the fishing line rubber bats don't really like hold it down. Like the movie just goes for it and the bats fly quickly is another thing that I really like. They don't like the universal hover. Yeah, they don't hover and they don't like hop around and they aren't very slow. So yes, they're on a fishing line, but they just kind of swoop across the screen and then they turn back into a person. So they aren't really on the screen long enough for you to laugh at them which is smart. Yeah. And also it was like this really neat thing about how Duval or rather the actor who was playing Duval, um, his name was Herman Robles. Um, the way he was holding his cape when he would attack mm. was very similar to the way that that knuckle part on a bat's wing yeah. is. So it felt seamless when he would turn into a person after being a bat like it the way he used the cape like the wings worked really well for me yeah it's similar to like kirk allen or george reeves as superman where they would um kind of crouch and then go to like leap and then it would turn into like the animated superman who's flying around and then like the animated superman would land and the actor would like sort of pretend to land from a jump right? Mm -hmm. Giving it some more physicality rather than just him standing there, transform into a bat, then the bat flies away. Like he grabs his cape and like lifts it up like wings and like leaps into the air and then turns into the bat. And the bat just keeps going with no like stop in the motion Mm -hmm. and then like over to where he's going to be and then lands, right? And that really helped keep everything dynamic and alive again in a way that sort of has enough like energy to it that you kind of forgive like that the actual effect is very simple and the bats kind of hokey and all of that stuff 
Absolutely. I think the confidence is really what makes it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that confidence comes from the fact that this is more than just a Dracula ripoff. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has remake of Dracula elements to it, especially yeah. towards the beginning where it's like, oh, senor, you know, no one around here goes out after sunset and nobody's going to take you to the Black Mountains. And then like a carriage shows up with a dude and he's like, I'm here for the boxes of earth. And like, yeah, I'll take you, but I won't take you all the way. You have to get off at the crossroads and like walk the rest of the way. Like there's a lot of Dracula-esque stuff. And Count Duval is just Dracula. (laughs) Like, Yes, but I think the reason it feels like it's more than a ripoff is because it has this original backstory. Yes. And it's adding that element of the mythos of like, I can bring him back from the dead and, and it, the jazz. It has enough of its own story going on exactly. that it's a unique take. And it's like, you know, it's Dracula. It's, it's honestly, it's Dracula and cat and canary mixed because it's basically Dracula mm. trying to pull off a, like we need to kill this young woman to get her inheritance out of her hands so that I can inherit this house kind <laughs> of like plot. I guess so. Um, yeah, it it was a really good movie. Uh, I honestly kind of liked how Marta and Enrique are ultimately just like pawns or victims. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Maria Teresa is the one who like has the agency and like gets the dudes at the end. Which is really cool because she's also really great at, as being like a terrifying crazy person for like the majority of the movie up to that, right? Like, Absolutely. The actors here are great, not necessarily because they're giving you Oscar-worthy performances, but because they are buying into their characters. They're like, I am a vampire. Like, I'm Dracula. I'm the evil lady vampire. I'm the mad woman in the attic. Like, everyone's just playing their part. Yeah. The makeup for everyone was really well done. Like, definitely for Maria, but even for Duval, um, the way they did all of his makeup, the The teeth looked really good. Um, yeah. So like I said at the top, like, yes, there's no innovations here, but it also really feels like it's reinvigorating these tropes, these things that we've seen in in a similar way that Hammer feels like it's doing over in the, over in Britain. Yeah. I think that it's just a matter of like some people doing this who are putting some effort into it. Yeah. Who really clearly want to do a good job. I will say it's really clear that the director has seen Todd Browning's Dracula. Like that's very clear. I was going to ask you um, if you thought that they would be more familiar with Todd Browning's Dracula or Spanish Dracula. That's a great question. Um, and I don't have a good answer for it. Maybe like mm-hmm. that movie was designed for the Spanish market. It had Mexican actors in it. So potentially, um, but I don't know. I will say that Duval's performance is more akin to Bella Lugosi as Dracula mm. than that actor as Spanish Dracula. Right. I yeah, don't remember yeah. his name, unfortunately. Yeah, man. Like, just good acting, good visuals, great vampire content, like everything you want out of a vampire <laughs> movie is is kind of here. I, I love Maria Teresa, as you were saying, and like how she gets to stake him at the end and all of that. We're definitely operating under kill the head vampire, you kill all the vampires rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like, even if it was like, well, wait a minute, 
would choking her really kill Eloise if she's a vampire? Like it becomes a moot point because once the yeah. main vampire is staked, she's she's dust. Um, the score is really great. It is, yes. Like it's it's clearly like what I liked about the score was it was dedicated to creating an ominous mood and a feeling of dread and threat rather than kind of doing the thing that horror movie scores in this era tend to do instead, which is try to emphasize the like supernatural or spookiness. So the difference here Mm -hmm. is like a score that's emphasizing the spookiness and the supernatural and the weirdness is going to be like, and that's not really scary music. Yeah. Like it's spooky music. It signals to you this is spooky, but it doesn't really scare you. They do it a little bit at the beginning when um, Eloise, when you think she's just the woman in black, is popping in and out. Mm. But like this movie, you know, when she goes, when um, Marta goes to see her old room and Mm -hmm. she's walking towards it and she's super scared of what she'll find in there. And then she opens the door and Maria Teresa's in there just kind of staring at her. Like the music is this like deep notes Mm-hmm. bassy kind of like orchestra like this like kind of almost jaws like like dun 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 that kind of music yeah which is so much more effective at creating like a dreadful mood absolutely um the score did a really good job as well of keeping the pace going yes um for example when marta is in the comatose state before they know it and we just see people praying over her like it's not I was surprised when I thought she was dead because I was like, where are we going? I feel like this is just like a narrative, like stop sign now. Um, But the music had this like growing tension and beat to it that kind of kept you on edge. It was clear this wasn't the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just everything's kind of firing on all cylinders in this movie. I think it's really worth checking out um it's a lot of fun it packs a lot into its Mm runtime as well um i think it's very impressive for that and i think it it part of the way that it does that is by keeping the characters very simple yeah um but i think they succeed in keeping them all likable um you know even as enrique's like sort of trying to be like charming with marta and kind of be a little bit of like putting the moves on a bit like it never crosses the line into feeling like he's a sleazeball or anything marta's really like easy to like um Mm -hmm. very sympathetic like the characters are who they need to be and and that's what's important yeah well let's move on to ranking and see how el vampiro holds up against some of these other movies I think before we dive in, actually, maybe we should have a discussion about how this compares to the highest ranked Mexican horror. That would be El Hombre Sin Rostro, The Man Without a Face, from 1950. It's from episode 153B, and it's currently ranked at number 49. And that movie, we really praised for how it was innovative with very surreal imagery. Um, the storytelling was very modern. Um, we could tell who the murderer was um pretty early on because we are very used to that criminal minds kind of storytelling um and the tropes along with that that film was very innovative compare that to el vampiro which as i said again it's not innovative but it's reinvigorating what we know and love how do you feel el vampiro compares to 
Halombre Sinrostro. I think it's better um, because it's confident. This is a very confident movie. This movie feels like it is willing to stand up against any American horror movie and take its chances. Um, Alhambra Sinrostro is trying new things, but it's it stumbles in spots and it's not fully confident in its own premise sometimes. And they really do go for the surrealism though. Like yes. when they have those nightmare sequences, they really go for those. Yes, but I think El Vampiro takes those lessons and employs them in a more confident story. Like mm. if you look at the way that when we have those vampire attacks at night outside, like we're on a soundstage and the way we're pumping in the fog and like creating these desolate landscapes ultimately I think is more effective because as cool as the surrealist stuff in El Hombre Sin Rostro is, it's all like dream sequence stuff, mm. right? Like, there isn't really a man without a face in that movie. He's um, an expression of the main character's psyche. Yeah. Yeah. You were the face all along. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think this is better, without a doubt. Cool. El Hombre Sin Rostro was smack dab in the middle of my range, so I wasn't quite sure. Um, where were you looking? Clearly above. Yeah, so what was your range then? Before I get to mine, since mine's clearly above yours. Oh, okay. So like I said, Hellenbrace and Rusto was kind of smack dab in the middle um, because I wasn't sure. But the highest that I felt comfortable, um, number 40, uh, White Reindeer, Volkoinen Pura from 1952, um, because that movie was shocking with how confident it was with how well they were able to control the atmosphere in an all white setting and the music and everything just really comes together into a beautiful chef's kiss of a horror movie. I felt like I wouldn't be comfortable putting this above white reindeer. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I, when I was looking at this movie, I was really impressed with this. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, so I started looking trying to figure out like, okay, well, you know, where's Dracula? Dracula's at 19. Um, I don't think this is better than Dracula, but Mm -hmm. I started sort of there and looking down and trying to find what felt right. You know, my eyes were next drawn to Return of the Vampire at 26. Um, But Return of the Vampire is above stuff like Caligari, Nosferatu, Night of the Hunter. A few spots below Night of the Hunter is Mad Love, which is a fun, cool little movie. Um, but I thought there was maybe a chance this was better than Mad Love. Um, just because Mad Love is a little bit messy in that it's adapting a book, introducing an entire new character into that book, basically, who is yeah. now an entirely new villain with an entirely new motivation. Um, so there's like a bunch of weird vestigial stuff in there that doesn't really need to be there anymore. That's fair. Um, so I made 32 kind of my ceiling. Like I thought maybe this could come in at 33. Uh, below Curse of Frankenstein. Looking down from there, we've got some really impressive stuff. Phantom of the Opera, Cat in the Canary, Vampire, um, The Uninvited, White Reindeer, House of Wax. Below Queen of Spades at number 43 is Back from the Dead, which is the movie with the wife who's possessing the body of the new wife. Yeah. Which is really a cool movie, but like kind of suffers for some of its editing and like it sort of having more ideas than it kind of knows what to do with. 
Yeah. Partly because I think it's adapting um, this short story or novel. Yes. I don't remember which it was. It was a novel, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot more <laughs> that it can... There's a lot more story than it can actually fit into its runtime. Yeah, I also think that, you know, we talked about how modern that movie feels, but it might be almost too modern for its own good because it can't be the movie it wants to be in yeah. 1957. So I made 43 my floor. I thought this maybe could go below Queen of Spades, above Back from the Dead. What that means is we have a really small overlap mm-hmm. of 40 to 43. Now, because of how innovative Back from the Dead is and how innovative this movie is not, I could maybe be talked into putting this below Back from the Dead above Teenage Werewolf, but I do kind of agree with your ceiling of White Reindeer. So what do we think about in here somewhere? I'm definitely into it. I think for me the question is, um, let's think about House of Wax. It's innovative in the sense of it's 3D. 3D and it's coming right at you and color and whoa, so much. Um, but it's also a story that we've seen before. Yeah, it's literally a remake. Yeah. Um, and it has that confidence. It also focuses a bit too much on it's coming right at you mm-hmm. uh, with like pausing the movie so we can do ping pong at you. Yeah. El Vampiro, I think, is a good example of get rid of the gimmicks, Mm. have confidence in your story. That's all you need. Yeah, they're just doing it. Yeah. So I feel like we could put this above House of Wax, but below White Reindeer for those reasons. Okay, let's do it. Cool. So entering the list at the new number 41 is El Vampiro from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can email us at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or reach out over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed, and if you'd like to help the show out, you can leave us a rating or a review. Tell a friend about the show, either through social media or in person. Uh, That helps the show grow its audience through word of mouth, and that means more listeners like you. If you have the means... To support us financially, you can head over to patreon.com slash Podcast, like we mentioned at the top of the show. You can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month, but patrons at the $5 and $10 levels get access to regular bonus content. If you join, you will be at least a little just as cool as Travis Stone. You can approach Travis Stone levels of cool by heading over to patreon.com slash Podcast <laughs> and joining up. So what are we watching next week, Ben? Next week, Sarah, we remain in Mexico. Cool. For another famous Mexican horror film, one that did come over to the U.S. in a dubbed version some years later. The Mexican title is La Momia Azteca. Oh. Because the English title is The, the Aztec, Aztec Mummy. I, I know enough Spanish to, to guess that. Um, I, from the way you presented that, is this like a really big deal? It is the first of a trilogy of movies Ooh. about the Aztec mummy. Okay. So we'll be seeing quite a lot of this boy in the future. <laughs> or a girl. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, but just judging by like the year and the place and the time and everything, probably boy, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. 
and we will see you, creatures of the night, next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.